I'm your host, Fraser Bailey, and welcome to the VegUp Podcast, where we talk mindset, psychology, plant-based nutrition, lifestyle, and big dreams. So if you want to get your head in the game, level up, and become the best version of you, listen in. Let's go. Vegan gut health and why it is so important. Guys, what is going on? Today, I wanted to talk to you about how to optimize your gut health in all facets, specifically on a plant-based diet and why this is so important. How can this benefit your cognition, your brain functions, your energy levels, your immune system, all of these different pillars in your life that you experience biofeedback cues around. And so if you haven't heard me use the term before biofeedback, I talk about this across the board in season one and two, but specifically biofeedback is essentially our body trying to communicate with us. It's our body speaking a language. And the challenge in the modern world now is that we've lost touch with what that language is. We don't understand what our bodies is trying to communicate to us. And so if we eat something and we get a reflux response or indigestion response or a bloating response, rather than looking at what is going on within our microbiome and the foods we're consuming, we might use an antacid or a reflux medication or Nexium or something of that nature. Essentially, you put a Band-Aid on the bullet wound. We suppress the signal. It doesn't mean that the negative upstream thing has just stops taking place. It still takes place as long as we keep that habit intact. We need to understand how to optimize things, these things from upstream. Why does this matter? Because one of the things that I found, guys, in my own personal journey is that my digestion is quite sensitive. As I've got older, it's actually got more sensitive to things. And so if I eat off my normal routine, or if I'm stressed, or if we're traveling, I need to be very aware of how my digestion is acting, because that can have downstream effects on my energy levels, on my mood, on all kinds of things. So, and I can, first of all, I want to tell you this, almost all of you will have some degree of issues with your gut health. There hasn't really been a single person I've come across that has perfect gut health. Very often, we don't have a yardstick to compare anything to it. So we don't actually know what good gut health looks like. And so the, the first key indicator, fundamentally, two things. One, if you're not having bowel movements at least two per day, then I would say that it's probably not optimal. If you're having one per day, less optimal. If you're having less than one per day, something is definitely not right. And if your stool is not in sort of a, a firm tube and it's coming out and it's either like diarrhea or very runny or very, like very, you're very constipated and it's coming out like pellets, each one of those spectrums needs addressing. So how do we do this? What do we look for? Well, the first two fundamental pillars that I wanted to talk to you about was prebiotics and probiotics. Most of you guys will have heard probiotics before. I mean, it's been thrown around so loosely. There's so many supplements out there with probiotics. You can go into the store and there's foods that have additional probiotics in them. They're everywhere, right? And that's one aspect or one part of the equation 
we don't always understand the other part of the equation. So when you're thinking about your prebiotics and your probiotics, I, I like to explain it a little bit like this. Think of your prebiotics as the soil of your garden. Think of your digestion as a garden, right? The prebiotics is the soil. The probiotics are the seeds that plant and deposit into that soil to grow. So if you have a lot of probiotic supplementation coming into your system or you're consuming a lot of probiotic foods, but you're not consuming a lot of prebiotic foods, what happens? You don't really have anything for that seed to bind to. And because of that, it doesn't really take hold. It doesn't, doesn't grow into a, into a flora, into a microbiome that's useful. And so think of it like this. The prebiotics are the compounds that are fermented by beneficial bacteria in your gut. Probiotics are the living organisms that keep your gut balanced and provide you with health benefits, including supporting your immune system, digestive system, and optimal brain function. Basically, prebiotic foods feed your probiotics. So let's dive into each of these things. The first thing I wanted to, to mention is that this is not an exhaustive list. I don't want to do this whole episode just on pre and probiotics. And I'll also caveat this by saying the, the gut is in many ways still quite misunderstood. It's, it's very, very nuanced. There are so many overlapping factors to what can contribute to a positive gut or negative gut. It's unbelievable. And so if anyone tells you that this one thing is the cure for all the problems, be skeptical. I'm here to tell you as someone who has devoted years and years and years of learning to these systems to understand how I could optimize myself. It's still a lot of uncharted foreign territory. And in many ways, we're still learning about how our gut interacts with our biological clocks, with sleep, circadian timing, sun exposure, all kinds of things, guys. So uncharted territory in many ways. The first target that I want to give you is based on good data and research, 40 unique plants per week was shown to really optimize flora diversity and your gut microbiome. 40 unique plants. So you might be thinking to yourself, dude, that's a lot of different vegetables, right? And yeah, sure, if you're eating a typical fitness diet of just broccoli and asparagus and sweet potato as your main meals with some tofu, sure, you have to eat a lot of different things to get that. But I just want to quickly rattle off to you some of the things that I consume within a day so you can understand how much I might get within a day. So my post-workout bowl that I consume, I use this Ezekiel cinnamon raisin cereal. It's got a range of different things like sprouted lentils, spelt, all kinds of stuff. It's got at least from memory about eight or nine unique plants just in that alone. No added sugar, nothing else, just that. I'll use my plant-based protein. I will use flaxseed, chia seeds, hemp seeds. So straight away, I've got 13, 14 unique plants right there, raspberries, blueberries, again, another two, so 14, 15. That's just part of what I do for my first meal. So already for one meal, 
checking off at least 15 unique plants. That's not including the grapefruit or the apple or the rice cakes with a nutso nut butter, which is a blend of seven different nuts and seeds that I might consume through the day, carrot sticks, right? So you've got additional ones there. And then for my main meal, I'll do tofu or tempeh or chickpeas or lentils or something, some type of plant-based protein. So that's going to be one, obviously. And then I'll do either rice or a rice blend or a quinoa blend or some type of grain blend or sweet potatoes or gold potatoes. But then I do a range of colorful vegetables. I talk about this in season two about eating the rainbow. Think about the rainbow. Where's your green veg? Where's your red? Where's your orange? All that stuff. So I've got my red peppers. I've got my baby kale, my spinach. I have my carrot. I have broccoli sprouts. I've got my microgreens. I've got my sauerkraut. Guys, literally within those meals, I'm probably hitting unique 30 unique plants per day on average. And so over the course of a week, yeah, if you eat the same things pretty repeatedly, then you might get to 40, but you want to consciously rotate too. I think nutrient rotation can be quite beneficial. So my point being is that very often you just need to add more things into the repertoire. Get a stir fry blend. Add that into the repertoire. That way you're creating more diversity. Remember, diversity is going to be associated with diversity of flora, which is a good thing. When I say flora, I mean bacteria, probiotics, that type of thing. So when you're thinking about your probiotics, right, I'm a big advocate of getting your probiotics from whole foods as much as you can. And so being plant-based, some of the main sources that we consume and we literally consume all of these. This is not me just rattle. I know that some other people will just rattle. They'll go to Google. They'll plug in foods high in probiotics. And they'll literally just rattle off a list. And some of these things have never tried before in their life. <laughs> I know that for sure. The things I'm about to tell you, we eat every day to some degree. So sauerkraut, we have that every day. Our daughter has it in some way, shape, or form, sauerkraut. Natto. I actually order our natto from New York. There's a, there's a place out in New York that does it. It's fermented soybeans. Natto is the best source of vitamin K2, particularly for bones, guys. Natto contains more vitamin K2 than any other food ever tested. It's also the only source of K2 for plant-based vegans, essentially. So about 90% of the K2 is in the form of MK7, which also has the strongest evidence towards bone health benefits. Just a little FYI for you about natto, because that's kind of like one of those enigmas that a lot of people haven't tried or they're unsure about, but we add that into our routine every day. Miso paste. So we use chickpea miso typically. It doesn't have as much of an intense flavor. Uh, And so for that reason, we add miso to veggie sticks, things of that nature. Even like I said, the chickpea miso is a good one. Kombucha is something else that we will add into our routine periodically. And also tempeh. I love tempeh. Tempeh is very versatile. It's fermented soybeans and rice. And think of it kind of like high protein hash browns. That's probably the best description for it. So I air fry it, things like that. So you've got your list there of probiotic foods. I would be consciously trying to add in a couple of servings of those things every day. Now, I will caveat this by saying if you haven't used these before and or you're getting digestive bloating and and distress, microdose these into your routine. By microdosing, I mean start off smaller with a quarter of a serving, add it in in small increments 
to allow your body to acclimate to the load. A lot of people, they'll add in too much sauerkraut or they'll drink too much kombucha and then they get gas and bloating because it's such a surplus of probiotic coming into their system and it's not able to take hold in all the prebiotics they're consuming because they're not even consuming enough prebiotics to offset the probiotic consumption and all these other things. So there's definitely a balancing act of microdosing these things into your routine. Now, I consume these things, most of those things every day. And I wanted to mention kimchi as well. Now, we don't really consume kimchi as much. I sort of I sort of think that kimchi, sauerkraut, you could almost use these interchangeably. Now, prebiotics. This is the one that most people may consume some things of, but they don't really actually consciously do it from a gut optimization perspective. So things like garlic, onion, leeks. Garlic has a lot of health benefits, guys. There's a lot of health benefits to the consumption of garlic. I consume it every day. But garlic, onions, leeks, also that's going to flavor your food, right? Asparagus, bananas, apples, oats, flaxseed. So I just mentioned to you that I consume the flaxseed in my post-workout bowl. I'll consume apples every day as well. Again, that is the soil that your probiotic is going to take hold in and, that, and it's going to grow in it. So think about this. You know, what is a prebiotic food? So because your body can't completely break down the fiber found in prebiotic foods, these compounds pass through the upper part of your gastrointestinal tract, partially undigested. As they pass through your small intestine, they reach your colon and they are fermented by your gut flora. So the bacteria and the probiotics that are in your system will start to ferment that undigestible fiber. This fermentation process of the prebiotic foods feeds the friendly bacteria in your gut. Again, remember, the soil is fueling the growth of these seeds, helping them to produce essential nutrients, including short-chain fatty acids. So these types of things help your gut optimize and help your gut create metabolites and precursors for other things in other areas of your body. And so you might have heard the thing before where they talk about a lot of your serotonin production is manufactured in your digestive system. So if you haven't heard that, essentially what happens is as a byproduct of all these chemical reactions taking place, a lot of this neurotransmitter, serotonin, is housed and manufactured within your digestive system. Now, this is typically why you will find people that have digestive issues will usually have some type of mood disorder. When I say mood disorder, I'm using that term loosely, meaning they might have anxiety or depression or sort of manic thinking, OCD, that type of thing. Part of it is literally these chemical changes that are happening in the brain as a byproduct of what's going on in your digestive system. So the take-home point here, guys, is that if you have if you're getting bloating or gas or getting any type of negative di digestive response, it means that if you optimize that, you have actually untapped cognitive potential that you're not tapping into. So you might say, oh, well, Fraser, I feel pretty good. I'm telling you, if you optimize your gut, you'll feel 10 times better. Oh, well, Fraser, I feel pretty productive. I, I don't have a lot of mental fog compared to what? Like you don't have a yardstick because you don't have, you can't plug into someone else's brain and experience the flow states and the mental clarity that I feel, right? So you don't have a good yardstick of comparison. So the thing to remember is 
a litmus test. If you're experiencing digestive issues, I guarantee you have untapped cognitive potential. You improve your digestion. You will get ROIs in all these other areas of your life from more mood stability, better temperament, more mental clarity, less brain flog, more flow states and productivity in all these other areas of your life. So that's why I'm so fascinated with gut health. Because as someone coming from a place where I had bipolar disorder, severe social anxiety, ADHD, I know how much food can impact our psychology. And that has a systemic impact on your quality of life across the board in all areas in terms of like how productive you are with your job and income earning and relationships and everything, guys. So this pertains to absolutely everything. Now, things that will wreck your gut health. So there's some going to be some common ones, right? But I want to explain to you a little bit about this in terms of why and how and just give you some some tools. So some of the common things that can really impact your gut health are your typical ones. It's like your antacids. Oddly enough, people don't understand this. They think that Tums or your antacids or whatever are something that is useful I would argue that this is wrecking most people's gut health even more. It's like that that analogy I put at the start of putting the, a Band-Aid on the bullet wound, blocking the signal so you don't actually experience the unpleasurable nature of it, but you're still doing the same detrimental things upstream, which will be causing other issues in other areas like downregulated immune system, downregulated serotonin production, downregulated all these other things, guys, all these other things. So reflux medications and acids are really common usually what you'll find with things like reflux meds and acids is that your stomach acid is going to be really diminished really impaired and so very often you'll see that people will pass food through the digestive system whole so they might eat blueberries and they'll literally poop out whole blueberries because their body is not breaking any of these things down in their stomach with because their stomach acid concentrations are so low. So what you can do to test this, if you go to Google and just search stomach acid baking soda test and go to YouTube, there's lots of videos on YouTube talking about this test where you take a certain amount of baking soda, you, you drink it in water, and then within a certain amount of time frame, you burp. And based on these results, it's going to be some degree of an indicator if you're low or high in stomach acid production. So I would say that most people are low and it can be useful for some people to run a course of betaine, HCL and pepsin. Now, this is not for everyone, but and there's different ways to do this. Like with a lot of my students who might be experiencing digestive issues, I will get them to cycle into some betaine, HCL and pepsin. We'll cycle the dosages up based on some biofeedback responses they are experiencing. When they get to a certain threshold that's comfortable or tolerable, we'll maintain that threshold for a number of days. They'll normalize to that threshold, then we'll increase it. They might maintain that for a couple of days, and then we'll taper the threshold back off again and see how their body works if it jump-started their system. So there's many different ways to, to approach this. <clears throat> now... One of the things, coming back to to the the list, alcohol is an obvious one, guys. Think about this. Alcohol is literally a poison. I mean, I don't know how else to say this, that if you're consuming alcohol, you are putting a poison into your system. And so you can't expect anything good to come from that. And so that's going to be wreaking havoc. What, What does alcohol do? Alcohol in high concentrations can clean things. 
So you're putting that in your digestive system. What's it going to do? It's going to clean everything. It's a bit like an oral antibiotic, right? So there's a place and time for antibiotics. I think if you have some type of severe infection or some acute surgery that involves you not getting some like awful bacterial infection, then yeah, sure. But we live in an era where people massively overconsume antibiotics. I mean, you, you get a cold and the doctors give you antibiotics. It's just bizarre to me because they're giving people antibiotics for a viral infection. And just the overuse of this, 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 this medication, your body creates a resistance to these things. This is, should just be obvious, but it's not. And so when you run a course of antibiotics, you really want to work on reintroducing probiotics and prebiotic-rich foods consciously into your routine and really keeping your diet nice and clean. Other things that people don't often understand as much is like stress, literal stress. I've talked about this before. Um, there was a dog that uh, we used to have. Her name was Rue. She was a sweet, such a sweet little angel. But man, she had the worst anxiety. Like I still have PTSD to this day from her anxiety because it was so severe. And she used to eat the same thing. Like the diet was, was the same stuff all the time. So the diet wasn't a, a variable that was changing. Yet sometimes on days and weeks where there was no thunderstorms and there was no fireworks and there was no loud gunshots or anything like that, her poop was normal. And then on days where there had been a thunderstorm the night before, she would have diarrhea. What changed? Her diet didn't change. Stress factors, stress, her nervous system impacting her physiology, impacting her gut function. And so what you'll often experience, and she would get a lot of gas and bloating. And what happens is when you're in this fight or flight response in this dominant sympathetic state of your nervous system, your body shunts blood to your heart and lungs and extremities to almost get you ready for this fight or flight response. It essentially downregulates digestive function. So during this time, you have all this undigested food sitting in your gut, fermenting, causing the, the gassing and the bloating because your body doesn't have blood volume going through your digestion to act as almost engine lubricant to actually get your digestion working properly. So stress is a huge thing for people. Most people really avoid this one because they, they want a pill or they want a food or they want a hack, but they don't want to deal with the excessive amounts of stress and disorganization and, and people pleasing in their life that's causing the, the, this issue in the first place. So you need to get very, very aware of that, period. So another one is processed foods and processed oils. So I found for a lot of people that obviously the processed foods is an obvious one. And I definitely noticed that as you clean your diet up, you get more sensitive. And I kind of explain it like you, uh, when you first start your journey, you're a bit like an old diesel pickup truck. And as you upgrade your vehicle, which is your body, you might upgrade to the point where you're, you're a Lamborghini. You know, you're a flash Lamborghini. You got that body you want. But it would be like if you were to put diesel in a Lamborghini, how do you think the Lamborghini would run? It would, it would conk out on the side of the highway. And so all of a sudden, that's why now if you've improved your health and you go back to eating some of those old things you used to eat, 
you've upgraded your systems, but you're putting the old fuel back in. That's why you get such a pronounced adverse response. And also remember, when you used to do these things and maybe you didn't feel it, you were like a fish in water. You didn't even know you were in water. You don't have a yardstick to compare it to. So you didn't know that you were feeling so bad. And because the, the, the transition was so gradual, it's like watching your hair grow. You don't notice it till you look back and really like look at a picture. You don't notice it till you go back and eat one of those old foods and you get a really negative response. And you're like, wow, was I probably getting some of these responses early on? And I just couldn't even tell. I couldn't even tell. Now, another thing that I find catches a lot of people, and this really confuses people, is they'll go, well, I went out to eat and I ate a macro bowl from this this restaurant, this Chinese buffet or something, and I ate my broccoli and my tofu and all these things that I would normally eat, but I got really gassy. I'm like, yeah, but what was on the food? What oils did they use? Did this, is there MSG in the seasonings? Because this is, if there's MSG in the seasonings, which is in most fast foods and like restaurants, by the way, and they're cooking with canola oil or safflower, most conventional, crappy, processed, cheap oils will be used in any place you're buying food that you're not making at home. And so for that reason, the food itself might not necessarily be the problem. It's what's on the food and what the food was cooked in that is the problem. So that is why I put such a huge emphasis on people learning how to make their own food proficiently so they're not so reliant on eating out all the time. You can eat out, but you're just going to suffer the ill the, the consequences of that more often than not. So you've got to you've got to pick what is more important to you. Convenience or downstream optimization where you perform better in all areas of your life. You choose. You, there's no right or wrong answer with that. Last part of that equation is dairy, gluten, and meat. Usually what I find for people who, I've had a number of people come to me and they've done a plant-based diet for a number of months or, or years. And then for whatever reasons, they have their reasons, they go back and they dabble in other things. And I'm telling you, the ratio of people that will come back and tell me how absolutely horrible they feel is immense. <laughs> it's immense. And part of it is, guys, like those things, dairy, and I would say like, Gluten in many ways also has a lot of inflammatory responses in the body. A lot of people seem to just not tolerate those things well, especially dairy and especially gluten. And we can get in the whole debate. Some people will say, oh, well, you're just saying meat and dairy because you're vegan. Yeah, but that's part of the reason why I became vegan. Obviously, I became vegan one part for ethical reasons, but two for my health. And I noticed how much better I felt with my digestion. So of course, I'm going to tell you that considering I've done all the different diets out there before I went vegan nine years ago, I'd done the keto, I'd done the paleo, I'd done all of them. And I felt like crap, my digestion was not good. That's just me. And I'm telling you that truthfully. And so this is the ladder of ascension that I've walked along to optimize. And that's why I've stuck with this. Because for me, short-term palate pleasure does not warrant me deviating from this process for a multitude of reasons, for a multitude of values and beliefs that I have about who I want to be in this world. So that list, guys, is a general list of things to be wary of. When I say processed foods, anything that comes in a box, anything that does not come in whole food form is typically going to be processed foods. Minimize those things. Get those things to a minimum in your diet. If you're adding too many of those things in, you are going to be getting inflammatory responses. You just will. 
Now, another part of digestion that I think is very fundamentally important to understand and something that I had only really learned to embrace in the last few years is how much our systems run off biological clocks in our body. So we have different clock systems in our body and typically they run off sunset and sunrise. So our circadian rhythm or our circadian clock is our biological clock to tell us when to sleep, when to wake. Based on those different periods in the day, different things happen within our systems. So cortisol gets released early in the morning to wake us up out of deep sleep, for example. Testosterone and growth hormone rise late in the evening as we fall asleep. Melatonin rises during that time to help us get into sleep, the deep sleep state. I found that your digestion is massively impacted by your circadian timing. And so if your sleep cycles, the take-home point here, guys, is that if your sleep cycles are all wacky and one night you're staying up to 3 a.m. and the next night it's 9 9 a.m. and then it's 10 and then it's 2 a.m. and it's all over the place, you can almost guarantee that you're negatively impacting your digestive system in some way, shape, or form. I'll give you a really good example of how I know this is a thing for me personally. So when we've traveled, so when we've traveled from the U.S., back to New Zealand or when we've done domestic flights or anything of that nature, where the time zones change, I notice that my digestion gets all kinds of weird. It just gets very thrown off and it takes about two or three days of being in that new time zone for it to start to get back into a normal biological rhythm where usually for me, I will usually go to the bathroom within 30 minutes of waking and i'll usually go twice within the first hour or two and then later in the day sort of mid-afternoon potentially will be another time that i go when we've traveled it's been really random and really weird where i can't even predict it there's no there's no pattern to it and so what i'm saying here is that your biological systems run off these clocks if you want to optimize your digestion Part of it lies in getting a regular sleep-wake cycle. Now, I can talk about sleep-wake cycles all day on uh, in terms of other things, but just when it comes to digestion, if you're staying up really late and you're going to and you're waking up late and then you're going to bed early and you're waking up early and all over the place, guarantee you you will experience adverse digestive responses that might not even be related to food or anything else at all, and completely based around your biological clocks. So that's a really, really interesting one that I found very curious. So another thing, and the reason beyond neurotransmitter optimization and uh, boosting immune function and all these things with optimizing gut health, think about this. If your gut health is all inflamed and jacked up and not good, you're not going to absorb a lot of nutrients. And so you might be eating things, but your absorption's very poor. What does that mean? It means that you may not be getting your daily recommended intake of certain vitamins or minerals that you actually need and you think you're getting. And that might be a reason why you are getting low energy, brain fog, feeling like crap, poor blood work. Not because you're necessarily doing anything wrong with your mineral or vitamin intake, but the absorption of those things is poor. I would rather consume less things and increase my absorption rates. 
this this idea of minimum effective dose guys is fundamentally important i i use this process when it comes to training when it comes to calorie consumption i'd rather people eat less calories than more but very very micronutrient dense calories and increase their absorption rates with by optimizing their gut health because then that means craving signals go down brain fog goes down hunger goes down because you're absorbing the nutrition your body needs so it stops sending craving signals for certain things part of why you might be getting craving for chocolate for example is because you're low in magnesium that could just be one of the factors and so you might be consuming these things but part of it's not being absorbed based on the state of your gut health so that again my friend is why this is so fundamentally important what i get my a lot of my students to do at the highest one-on-one -on -one level is i will get them to, every day to mod to track the energy and digestion out of 10. so in the a.m noon and p.m i just say look subjectively obviously subjective measurements with us are can be a useful tool rate your energy and digestion out of 10. you know 10 out of 10 being really good no bloating no gas one out of 10 being absolutely atrocious um you know terrible no, nine times out of 10, if the person has bad digestion, the energy is going to be way off. And that's obvious, right? It should be obvious. Like if you're getting bloating and gas, you don't feel good. You don't even want to move. And so what I'm saying here is that you can then reverse engineer what some of those causal factors are. So I will look at their food logs and I'll look at their stress levels and I'll look at their metrics and I'll say, right, based on these things, Let's change a couple of these different foods around. Let's try this thing instead of this thing. Let's play around with the nutrient timing of this thing. And we, we fine tune the meals and adding in different nutrients over time to help try and improve your gut metrics, which then improve your energy levels. And, and that obviously improves your mood and everything else. A very useful tool to just understand the relationship between how food and nutrient timing and all these different things can impact your, your mood and your energy levels based on what's happening in your gut, right? So that's another factor to consider. Now, one other thing that I think can be really useful, I'm just going to rattle off some things. Obviously, we talked about pre and probiotics and we went into some detail there and I talked about some things that can wreck your gut health, talked about biological timing, but other things that can be useful in terms of helping optimize gut response is movement literally think about this you're through movement up and down bouncing or walking or running that can help stimulate gut motility gut motility is how food moves through your digestive system and so what i've found for people is that typically if they get over eight thousand steps per day ideally 10. it's, it's very cliche to say ten thousand steps but most people don't even get like five five is way too low you're way too sedentary if you're getting five thousand steps per day so eight thousand minimum ideally 10 potentially shooting for 12 on a good day i found that that tends to often correspond to better digestive responses across the board movement period and it also by the way as a little side note ex extra movement through the day around meals helps with blood glucose stability as well so blood glucose stability is often associated with being insulin sensitive not having diabetes and improving brain function and mental clarity one 
supplement that I found, there's, there's different supplements that I've tried over the years. And one that I found to be quite effective is glutamine. So glutamine is an amino acid. And I found that you know, doses anywhere up to five grams, two or three times per day with meals, potentially can help alleviate a lot of digestive distress people experience. And so I'll run cycles of glutamine every quarter for about a month just to kind of recalibrate my system, help my gut lining, integrity, and all these other things. And I've noticed acute positive responses from incorporating cycles of glutamine into my routine periodically. Other things that are, I guess, obvious but not well practiced is chewing your food properly. I'm guilty of this in the past where I would eat too quickly and I would barely chew my food and I would just swallow it. And I noticed that on those days, I definitely would get more bloating and gas. And so in more recent times, in the last few years, I've really become more conscious about chewing a lot more. And by chewing a lot more, I mean 20 to 30 chews per mouthful. A lot of people will just chew four times and they're done. Even if you chew four times and you go to 10, you're going to be at some type of positive increment, right? So chew your food more because think about this. Digestive enzymes get released in your mouth as you chew those digestive enzymes help break down that food as it's entering your digestive system. So it essentially acts as a digestive assist in terms of the breakdown of those foods. Another thing, often when people come to a plant-based diet, and I've talked about gut health in season two and one episode. So go back and listen to all those if you haven't, because I talk about this stuff in, in different areas. I focus on different areas. So this one is more unique where I'm talking about pre and probiotics, but in other ones, I've talked about transitioning to a plant-based diet and some of the common things that really catch people. And one of those things is when people go vegan, they often get a lot of gas and bloating at the start because they go from consuming zero fiber or very low amounts of fiber per day to a hundred grams. Their body's like, what the freaking hell's going on, dude? It's, it's like driving. Imagine your gut is like the Los Angeles freeway or the Los Angeles interstate. It'd be like the amount of traffic going through that interstate, the roads just get absolutely destroyed. So it would be like you going from having no traffic down your freeway to having the amount of volume of the Los Angeles population through your digestive system in one day. And the roads get completely beat up and there's potholes everywhere. That's kind of like what your digestive system would look like. So one thing Talking about microdosing, like I mentioned with the probiotics, you can microdose fibrous vegetables into your routine in terms of adding smaller amounts in and just increasing the portions over time. One other thing that I found really useful was either steaming or instapotting those vegetables. So sure, you could argue that maybe some of the nutritional value is lost through the cooking process. You might also argue that some of the nutritional value is unlocked during the cooking process. But what I've found for most people is that if they consume too much raw stuff too soon, they will get adverse responses. So what I would tell you to do is to start with, steam all your vegetables or Instapot everything first. Then what you might do is you might add some microgreens or some sprouts to that meal, or you might do one raw meal and one steam slash Instapot meal. Slowly acclimate yourself over so you can experience a more diverse range of foods. But steaming and instapotting can be really useful. The last thing that I think is sort of, I mean, there's, there's more things to this, but another thing that can be really useful is intermittent fasting. 
So obviously think about this. It's a bit like if you had a burn on your arm and you just kept rubbing your arm. Can you imagine how septic and pussy looking and all the lymph that would be oozing out of your your arm burn if you just kept rubbing on your arm nonstop? That's kind of is like what happens with the lining of our digestive system when we're just eating all the time. The, the, the digestive lining is like your skin and the inflammation is like the burn and your rubbing of your hand on your arm is like you just constantly needing to eat. I know people who just can't stop eating. They just want to eat all day long, like 10 meals a day. So much inflammation through the digestive system, guys. It's crazy. So what you really need to think about is how can you strategically add in periods of intermittent fasting where you just maybe don't eat till lunchtime or maybe one day of the week you do a 24-hour fast or something. And then that way you're giving your digestive system a bit of a break to regenerate and repair cell linings and things like that. So for me, on a, on a rest day, for example, if I'm really busy and I'm working and we're doing a whole lot of stuff, I might not eat till after lunchtime, maybe mid-afternoon. Sometimes when we're in the RV and we're traveling, I won't eat till we get to our next location late in the afternoon. And I like that because there's definitely a, a, a discipline and a mental practice that comes with fasting where it helps you detach from your constant need to be satiated and your constant need to be feeding yourself. And I definitely think there's an addictive pattern there that's worth breaking that you can then transfer that discipline over into so many other areas of your life. But I definitely think from a digestive regeneration standpoint, intermittent fasting is very, very useful when it comes to optimizing digestive function. So that was obviously a list that was really, for the most part, all over the place. But I just wanted to give you what was on my mind. I wanted to give you the idea about the prebiotics and the probiotics being the, the garden and the seeds to make sure that you add both of those things into your routine every day to make sure that you microdose those things into your routine if you've been getting adverse responses. And if you could take home anything else from this, it's to look at the things that are wrecking your gut and to try to minimize those things as much as you can as well. You can add on all the probiotics and all the prebiotic foods in the world, but if you're pounding down the alcohol and the antibiotics and the antacids and your stress levels through the roof, you're still going to experience have negative digestive responses, guys. So you've got to minimize those negative things. And the last thing, the sort of the, the, the unsung hero in this episode is more, I would say, looking at normalizing your circadian timing, your sleep cycles as a way to help your digestive biological clock. That seems to be something in my experience is very useful for me. I've had a lot of great advantages by deploying consistent sleep wake cycles regarding this. I definitely think it could be advantageous for you as well. But look, take home point guys, the gut is still in many ways a very mysterious thing. I don't even think we truly understand all of the mechanisms and the the relationships between different systems in the body and the outside world. But I will tell you this, you optimize your gut and you will optimize many other pillars in your life and in your systems. That's why this is so important. So go out there today, add in some of these things that I said and stick with it for an extended period of time. These things won't always just happen and improve overnight, but you've got to give it time, guys. So remember, if you want to optimize your cognition, your brain, how you function, your mood, all those other ROIs and areas of your life to get, like I've told about, being a warrior in a garden rather than a gardener in a war from the perspective of getting yourself 
ready for anything, being sharp, being resilient, your gut health is an intimate pillar in that process. That is why this episode is so important. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Veg Up podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you can be the first to know when new episodes go live. Please leave us a review and share this on social media. Tag me. Let me know what helped you. Let me know what you want to hear more of. Let's get this information out to the world. Help me do that. And be sure to email us over at fraser at evolvingalpha.com for coaching options and mentorship. Because if you want growth, it begins here, my friends.